0: we've come up to chapter 11 and we're looking at a message called blessed to be a blessing we're going to focus on the nation of israel uh, and part of this message but we're going to go back and look at the beginning of the jewish nation so if you'd bow with me let's pray father we come before you right now and we're so grateful that your word is inspired breathed out by god profitable for everything we need in life it's the very words of god thank you that they've been captured for us Thank you that the book of beginnings explains so much about life and the conflict of the ages and the line from which Messiah would come. Give us understanding, Lord, to your heart why you did these things, what your purpose was. Help us to have a clear picture of biblical revelation so that we might know you better. We might know the God of the Bible better. This is not just about knowledge, it's about a relationship, a deepening understanding of the world from your eyes, Lord, and with your heart. This is not only about the present, it's also about our destiny. It's about a new Jerusalem and a millennial reign of Christ and hope beyond just this present existence. When we think of Sarah's situation at 11 years old and others who are going through difficulty, Lord, it sometimes puts our problems in perspective, but it also reminds us about the real hope of heaven and what that's about. So Lord, give us your eyes tonight, give us ears to hear, and a heart prepared to receive the word, which is able not only to save our souls, but to build us up in our most holy faith. We lay this time at your feet, may you be pleased with what we do and how we hear and how we respond. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Genesis 11, verse 10, blessed to be a blessing. These are the records of the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and became the father of Arpakshad two years after the flood. So you might want to note that this record is two years after the flood. And we have Shem, and Shem rises to the surface because Shem is the father of the Shemites or the Semites or the Semitic peoples. So the reason that the focus now centers itself around Shem is because the line of Shem is the most important when it comes to the Bible. Here's why. Because from the line of Shem will come a man named Abram. Abram will be renamed Abraham, and Abraham will father a son named Isaac, or Isaac, and his name means laughter. And then will come a son named Jacob, <laughs> Jacob will later in the book of Genesis be renamed Israel. He will have 12 sons and those 12 sons will become the 12 tribes of Israel. And from one of those tribes will come the Messiah and he will come from the line of Judah. And so the Bible narrows the focus here for us to understand. And if you're fairly new to the Bible, one of the things to understand about the Old Testament is that the Old Testament is really about the people of Israel. Now, other nations are talked about. Babylon comes up, Egypt comes up. There's, there's mentions of other nations when it comes to the Bible, to the Old Testament especially. But the main record of the Old Testament focuses on this line of Shem. And this takes us all the way back to Noah and all the way back to Adam. You might ask the question, well, why is the biblical focus on this line? Because from this line will come the Messiah. And he's already been predicted in Genesis 3.15 in the famous fall chapter where Adam and Eve blow it and they're hiding and they're trying to cover themselves. And God makes a promise that from the seed of the woman, a Messiah or a Savior will come. And that's been, co- been called the pre-evangel or the kind of the uh, prophecy. Of the coming Messiah, or the prophecy of the coming Redeemer, or the gospel. So, we have seen now, we just did a message on the Tower of Babel, and we saw the problem at Babel. Mankind gathered, they had one language, and uh, they began to build this tower, and it was a ziggurat, and this is where the signs of the zodiac come from, and God came down. And remember, in that section, God confused the languages, and he told the people to go out and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, but they all kind of isolated themselves, and they were in this area of modern-day Iraq, and a place called Babel. I mentioned to you that Babel, originally the idea of the name seems to be the gate of God. Some people even believe it means heaven's gate. And it seemed to be a name that reflected people who were trying to reach up to God. But the name Babel now has been known for confusion because it's at that location that God comes down and confuses the languages. And I told you the job site probably would have been pretty funny because they were, you know, they built the tower and they would have been building the city with construction crews. And when God confused the languages, nobody could understand anybody anymore. Everybody was literally speaking Greek or whatever to one another. And so they were forced to go out and they huddled in their groups with they had common language and people have asked the question well where did the different races come from and the different languages and skin colors well what you have is as the languages were confused the people's went out and they went to geographic locations and you all know that if you have a family let's say that you have 3 or 4 or 5 kids the kids are all going to look different and if they all spread out to different regions People they start to take on the characteristics of that line. Some of that could be determined by climate and geography, but some of that just is from DNA. So groups that began to huddle in specific geographic areas with certain climates and certain gene traits began to reproduce, and they began to take on certain characteristics. And that's basically what we have as an explanation for where all of this came from, where the races came from, et cetera. What does evolution have to explain this? Nada. I mean, there's so much complexity when you just think about all the spoken languages that are happening in the world right now. But this is the biblical explanation. And you may say, well, what about skin color? Well, there's just slight changes in, um, what's the word, melanin? Yeah, I mean, pigmentation, there's slight variations can make light and dark skin colors. And one of the things just to take note of is I'm Italian. I have a little bit of olive skin Some people who are African-American are darker than others. Italians, some are darker, some are lighter. If you want to call someone uh, who is uh, 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 Caucasian, there's variations in color. So basically, this is how the human race spread out over the planet. And variations of language came in here. And the line of Shem becomes the focus. And that line is going to lead to the Messiah. The Bible tells us in the Messiah, in Jesus, John 1, 4, was life, and that life was the light of men. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, verse. uh, I think it's verses 1 and 2. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, this is where the account is leading. So look at verse 11. Now, what we're going to have here is a list of names. Are you all ready? I did not practice these names. but I believe that we should take a shot at it, don't you? All right, here we go. And Shem lived 500 years, verse 11, and he, he became the father of our Pakshad, and he had other sons and daughters. And our Pakshad lived 35 years and became the father of Shelah. And our Pakshad lived 400 years, 403 years after he became the father of Shelah and he had other sons and daughters. You'll notice that in this particular genealogy as compared to other ones, Previous genealogy said he lived this long and he died, and he died, and he died. The focus doesn't seem to be death here. It seems to be more life. He lived this long and had offspring. Uh, Shelah lived 1430 years and became the father of Eber. Eber is where we get the term Hebrew. And Shelah lived 403 years, and after he became the father of Eber, he had other sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and became the father of Peleg. And Eber lived 430 years after he had become the father of Peleg, and he had other sons and daughters. By the way, Eber is the 14th from Adam, and Abram is the 7th from Eber. I'm just going to read a text note to you, which is interesting. Um, Eber is the 14th from Adam, 2 times 7, 7 is the number of perfection. Abram is the 7th from Eber, making him the 21st from Adam. So if you take three times seven, seven's the number of perfection, three times seven, this, sur- this suggests perfection from the divine or perfection of the divine plan. Abram being the Twenty-one away from Adam. Just interesting side note. Peleg, 14, lived 30 years, became the father of Ru. And Peleg lived 209 years. You're going to notice lifespans begin to decrease after the flood. People have questions. Why did people live so long uh, in the pre-flood world? Well, some of the explanations I've heard is the water canopy that uh, kept out water uh, ultraviolet rays. I've heard some experts who are smarter than me say that as people traveled out into the world, it could have been the difficulty of travel combined with climate. It could also have been interbreeding and things that could have happened in terms of... Um, uh, the gene pool and what of mutations and that kind of thing. But most scientists I think chalk up the lower lifespans as you move away from the perfection of the world and the post-flood world to the ultraviolet rays getting through and so forth. And so you're gonna notice that people are having children younger. And they're living less time. So Peleg lived 209 years after he became the father of Reu, and he had other sons and daughters, verse 20. Reu lived 32 years and became the father of Sarug. And Reu lived 207 years, and after he became the father of Sarug, he had other sons and daughters. Sarug lived 30 years and became the father of Nahor and Sarug lived 200 years after he became the father of Nahor and he had other sons and daughters, 24 Nahor lived 29 years and became the father of Terah and Nahor lived 119 years after he became the father of Terah and he had other sons and daughters and Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor and Haran some scholars would say finally we've come to this point where we're going to come to this people group that will become the focus. And Abram is going to become the focus of this line. Notice that in verse 26, Abram's father was Terah. And when scholars look at the sermon given by Stephen in the book of Acts, which we'll touch on in a moment, they question whether or not Abram was the firstborn. You'll notice in verse 26 he's listed first, but that's not necessarily because he was the firstborn, but because he had prominence. And we, we can see this in other places that we've already talked about. Now, these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, and he'll be renamed Abraham later in our Bibles. Nahor and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Now, that name's gonna be familiar to you guys. And Lot is going to be significant in the book of Genesis. And Lot was Abram's nephew. Lot's dad is going to die And so it seems that Uncle Abram kind of adopted Lot into his family. And Lot added gray hairs to Abram's head. We have brothers in the fellowship that say, you see these gray hairs, baby? I've earned every one of these. Can I get a witness in the back row? But now they're not necessarily all gray. Now they're just departing, which is a bigger problem but you can chalk it up to your lots in life, if you know what I'm saying. Everybody's got their lot in life. (laughs) Well, for Abram, Lot was the guy. Now, we are told in 2 Peter that Lot was a godly man, but Lot still made some mistakes, and Abram had to rescue him, and then you know what happened with Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, which is a later study in the book of Genesis. Genesis. So though Abram is named first over his three brothers, like Shem, which we've already studied, he was not necessarily the firstborn. Arkent Hughes comments, he says, let me fix this for a second. He says, it seems best to understand that Terah was 130 when Abram was born and that he lived 75 more years until the age of 205. You can note Genesis 11:32. 32. Therefore, it is likely, according to Genesis 12, 4, which says Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, that he was not the firstborn and Terah had Abram when he was 130. That's a little debatable and there's some other views of it. But Abram's name means exalted father. You might want to write that down. Or it could mean um, the father is exalted. And some scholars believe that Abram's name could mean the father is exalted, i.e. God is exalted. It would be cool to have a name, but more than that, to have a life where when someone looks at you, they say God is exalted in that person's life. Is that you? Can you say that, you know, my main drive as a man or a woman is that God is exalted in my life. Now Abram will be re- Abram will be renamed to Abraham and his name is mentioned in Genesis 17:5 and he becomes the father of many. So his first name is exalted father or uh, that his father be exalted and then his name becomes father of many because he will become the father of what? Many nations. In fact, if you think of Abraham, he's probably one of the most famous people that have ever lived, and some people would argue he's the most famous person of the Old Testament. In fact, when you read the New Testament and you consider what the Jews said, they would always go back to Abraham and David. That seemed to be their two main heroes of the Old Testament. And so Abraham is this prominent figure in the Bible, and here it is mentioned that he has two other brothers, and his dad's name is Terah. Interestingly enough, Abraham is mentioned 312 times in 272 verses in the Bible, just in case you wonder about stuff like that. And Terah, his father's uh, name, means either stationed Or some people say the name Terah means delayed. That's going to be important for where we're headed. Verse 28. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. So all of a sudden something happens to one of the sons. And that is Haran perishes. And notice he dies in the presence of his father or right before his father. To lose a son must have been very hard on Tara. And I know that um, some of you have experienced losses recently, and maybe some of you have even experienced the loss of a child. And I cannot say that I know personally what that is like, but I can feel your pain and sense that that's gotta be a very difficult thing. And Tara, that happened to him. Uh, Sometime in Ur, uh, this, this son of his, Haran, died. And uh, it happened in Ur of the Chaldeans, which is a well-known, uh, famous location right there um, in the area of the lower Euphrates. And uh, I'll talk about the location in a second. But it's the, in the ancient delta region uh, near the Persian Gulf where the Tigris and Euphrates rivers flow together. There are some people who argue that Ur of the Chaldees should be further north, but I think the best archaeology is that it was south on the Persian Gulf and right where the Tigris and Euphrates rivers come together. This location, some of your study Bibles will say this, was excavated by Leonard Woolley between 1922 and 1934. So excavations occurred and they found a very prominent advanced city in mathematics and art. In fact, I heard one pastor say this was the first place where they found hot tubs. Hmm. Make her pretty cool, right? The in how many of you enjoy a hot tub? Is that pretty cool? Yeah. So they dug up hot tubs and they, but one of the things that Ur was really known for was a three-level ziggurat where they had worship, idolatrous worship going on, and they specifically worshipped one God that was well known there, and he was the moon god. And according to Joshua 24, Terah and it seems to imply Abram were idolaters. So you need to know something about Abram. Abram is not officially Jewish yet. He's not officially a Hebrew yet. He is from the line of Shem, so you could argue he's Semitic in that sense, but he's not called the Hebrew until, until Genesis 14. So God is about to set apart the Jewish people and he's gonna start the whole thing, if you will, with Abram. And whenever someone talks about the line of Israel, they talk about Abraham, Isaac, and who? And Jacob. So Abram's the guy that starts it all. But when he starts it all, everything starts with a call and he's about to be called out of Ur of the Chaldees to a land that God says he's going to show him. Can you imagine, guys, if you were going to tell your wife this news, honey, God's appeared to me. We're supposed to leave our family, our relatives, our household. Well, where are we going? Uh, Well, God didn't really say. But he said he'll show us when we just start moving. How many of you ladies would be on board with that? (laughs) Now, this is pretty much a driving principle in my life. I like to get in the car and just try to figure it out. My wife... Usually not on board. Now we have those gadgets so we can talk to that thing on the phone, right? What's her name again? Sari, right? (laughs) Help me, right? So it's a little easier now. But this is the call Abram gets and I want to just park here for a second and say to you that it would appear that when Abram was called, he was not necessarily a believer in Yahweh. He may have been an idolater, but it would appear that he met God in Ur of the Chaldees, which shows you something because this was ancient Mesopotamia and it tells you that God can show up anywhere. He doesn't just show up in Jerusalem. He doesn't just show up. He can show up in a place that's steeped in paganism and speak to somebody. And that's what he did in Abram's life And he called him from a place that was filled with idolatry and paganism and moon worship and all these gods and goddesses. And that's where the initial call for Abram came. Everything that happens to you as a Christian starts with a call. Everything. And the question in your life is gonna be this. If you've received a call from God, are you following that call? That's what the life of faith is about, by the way, And we're told in the book of Romans that we're to follow in the footsteps of Abraham and we're to to follow God's call even when we don't completely understand what's going on. And that's what Abram did. And Abram may not have even been a full-fledged believer, but he saw something. In fact, Stephen says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. He saw the light of God. God literally appeared to him and that changed his life. And when God speaks to you, the true God, and you've only known what is false and dark, you can't help but want to follow, amen? Hopefully that's, that's the case for all of us. It starts with a call. But if Abram would have said no or not responded, and I'm going to show you where it seems like he parked for a while, what would have happened? God can use somebody else if you don't obey But everything starts with a call. And sometimes God refines your call. Sometimes he recalls you over and over again as you fight him. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Anybody been fighting God lately? Anybody been saying, oh no, I won't go like Jonah? You guys have heard the story of the skeptical atheist guy and he he meets this new budding Christian. She only knows John 3.16 and a few Bible stories. And this atheist is beating her up And he confronts her, and she's gone out to street witness, even though she's pretty new, and he's beating her up. What about this? What about evolution? What about those stories in the Bible like Jonah? Do you really believe that Jonah was in a great whale or fish for three days and three nights? How do you think that happened? What are the mechanics of that? He's beating her up. She goes, sir, I don't know. I don't know. But one thing I know, when I get to heaven, I'll just ask Jonah how it happened, and he'll tell me. (laughs) And the atheist said, well, what if Jonah's in hell? She said, then you can ask him. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. So our knowledge of Abraham extends back to the 19th century BC. Scripture indicates he was a citizen of the city of Ur, located on the Euphrates River, what is today southern Iraq. Ur was already an ancient city in Abraham's time. It boasted an elaborate system of writing. All of this was dug up. Mathematical calculations, sophisticated educational facilities, extensive business and religious records, and the moon god that was worshipped in the massive three-stage ziggurat built by Ur-Namu, which seemed to be the king of the area. Second millennium BC, um, the name of the there was a on the top level there was a one room shrine of Namu the Moon God, and so there it is. That's that was the feature, the religious feature of Ur of the Chaldees. So it was a sophisticated area, but it was very pagan. So let's see what happens next. So it says twenty nine. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Now remember, Haran is died, so there's two sons left. Now Milcah, by the way, Bible students, is the grand, the granddaughter of this marriage between Nahor and Milcah is Rebekah, just a side note. And uh, there is an uncle-niece relationship between Nahor and Milcah. Don't let that trouble you. The population was fairly small, and there was some intermarrying that did occur. Uh, until the law was given. And so notice we're going to learn some things now about the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. There's another daughter there. Look at verse 30. And Sarai, now we learn something about Abram's wife, was barren. She had no child. In the ancient world, to be barren, just like I'm sure it is today, was, was a heartache. But in that world, it was very difficult to deal with. In fact, a woman saw that it was really her honor and duty to give children to her husband. And so to be barren, to experience barrenness was a difficult plight. And we can see this with Hannah. And we're going to see this later in the book of Genesis with with some other prominent ladies. But it's a problem when you're supposed to be this father of many nations. And in you, all the families of the earth are supposed to be blessed. And yet your wife can't have children. So in Genesis 15, this is just a a preview of what's coming. Abram says to God, "Uh, I don't have an heir. So I appreciate these promises you're giving to me and these blessings and you're telling me like the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky I'm gonna have all these descendants. There's only one problem. Uh, My wife can't have children. And so, you guys know what happens in between the realization of the promise and waiting on God is the whole incident with Hagar, the Egyptian maidwoman. By the way, she marries Abram or Abraham at the prompting of Abraham's wife. So she becomes a second wife. And in the ancient world, they did this to bring offspring. So when you sometimes see, you know, what we would consider polygamous relationships, they were often based upon the fact that there was infertility in one of the wives. So to bring a posterity to the husband, another wife would be brought in. But when there was two cooks in the in the tent, <laughs> and if you've read the story, you know what happens. Oh, it gets ugly. Abram walks in, the two ladies are on the ground. Now, I don't know if they're really doing that, but it wasn't pretty. And so we'll get to that, but that's another thing that's coming up in the book of Genesis. And Terah took Abram, his son, 31, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans, so they're going to leave their homeland now, in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. Now I just want to show you the geography here. So see where the Persian Gulf is on the bottom right? There's Ur of the Chaldees. that's the... That's the most attested location. So, if you chart Abraham's travels, he goes northwest, about 550 miles. He would pass through the area of ancient Babylon, and then he's going to go up. If you look at the top of the screen, you can see Haran. Uh, I think I can point with this thing, can't I? All right, so there's Haran right there. So, he's starting down in the Persian Gulf area, and he's going to trek through Babylon. You can see the Euphrates and Tigris rivers that are running down here. So this is kind of along the water. Some people say, well, why didn't he just trek across the Arabian desert like that? Well, across the desert was a pretty tough trip, especially with your family and arguments historically whether or not camels were domesticated at this point or you had to hoof it on foot. And so the easier way to travel is to go this way and they would go up in the area of Haran. Now these two locations, Ur and Haran, were both very famous for moon goddess or moon god worship. So it may be that there was some um, connection there, but rather than going across the Arabian desert, they go up this way. But here's the thing that happens. They settled, look at verse 31. They went as far as Haran and settled there. Now, I want to just park here for a moment and ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 7. Acts, chapter 7. And I'm going to show you um, this is Stephen's shining sermon. You guys remember he was being falsely accused, Acts, chapter 7. And his face looked like the face, remember, of an angel. I don't know what that looked like, but the council members looked at him and it was just like, "Ah," and it must have freaked them out. So Stephen begins a sermon. This is Acts 7, verse 1. Acts 7, verse 1. The high priest said, are these things so to the false accusations? He said, hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory, Acts 7, 2, appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Now, The commentary we get from Stephen, and I think he knows his stuff, is that before the departure from Ur to Haran occurred, Abram got a call from God. In fact, if you look at Acts 7 verse 2, it says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. And he said to him, depart from your your country, your relatives, and come to the land that I will show you. Then he departed from the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran, And from there, after his father died, special note, God removed him into this country in which you are now living. He gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet, even when he had no child, he promised that he would give to him as a possession and do his offspring after him. But God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be aliens in a foreign land, that they would be enslaved and mistreated for how many 400 years, you just write in your Bible, Egypt there. And whatever nation to which they shall be in bondage, I myself will judge, said God, and after that they will come out and serve me in this place. So Stephen comments and says that the call of Abram came while he was in Ur, and it it would appear that, it seems clear if you go back to Genesis, that the God of glory appeared to Abram, spoke to him, called him, and then they went up to the northwest instead of going across the Arabian desert, as I just showed you, and they went as far as Haran. And if you look at Genesis 11:31, it seems like Terah um, took Abraham his son, and he was the one leading this caravan to go to the land of Canaan. Could it be? that God appeared not only to Abram, but to Terah as well. But as they went, and as they journeyed, you know, from this area of the Persian Gulf up to Haran, they settled there. Uh, Some say they settled there for 15 years until the death of Terah. If Terah's name means station, or if it means uh, to to pause, or what did I say the word was? To tarry. Delay. Um, I just want to stop here and tell you there's a little bit of debate about whether his name means that, but it's, it's pretty cool if it does, and here's why. Because when you're following God and God tells you to go somewhere, sometimes we hit delay points. I just want to ask you. And remember that Abram's call was to boogie out just with his wife and to leave behind how much? Everything. Everything. So there was some compromise there with Terra. And I don't know all the dynamics that went up. It seems went on that Tara was driving some of this ship. But there, there seemed to be partial obedience. And then there seemed to be a delay in Haran. I don't know if things were cool there. I don't know if they liked you know, the restaurants or <laughs> whatever was going on. But this was a delay. And the delay could have been 15 years. And I just want to ask you. Have some of you delayed the fulfillment of your calling because you've settled somewhere? You know you had a call on your life. You began to walk in obedience, but maybe it was a little bit of partial obedience. Maybe you said, I'll go, but even though God said this, I'm not going to leave everything behind. I'm going I'm to go up here. And then he settled. And You know, who was the one who pushed the settling? Was it his dad? Did he just go along with the program? I don't know for sure. But Haran was one major trade route coming up from Canaan and Syria. It was an important city, which still exists today, by the way. Haran means mountaineer, and I've heard some say Haran means barrenness. Sarai is barren. If the proper name is barrenness, they've settled in a barren place. And when you delay obedience to God, you become barren. You don't, you're not fruitful. Jesus said we're supposed to be, what, fruitful people. But when we delay or we give partial obedience, we don't produce all the fruit that God has called us to produce. And so they, look at verse 31. Some of you need to mark that. They settled there. Sarai uh, was barren. Her name means, by the way, princess. And there's scholars that say that all the names that are listed here, uh, maybe not Abrams, but the other names that are listed, listed here, connect to the worship of the moon goddess. Sarai's name can mean rain or queen. In Hebrew, it seems to mean Princess. So if you have a Sarah in your life, that would be the meaning of the name. And so God says in Genesis 15, 7, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. In Nehemiah 9, 7, and 8, it says, you are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. And you did find his heart faithful before you. And you did make a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite of the Hittite and the Amorite, of the Perizzite and Jebusite and the Girgashite to give to his descendants and thou hast fulfilled thy promise for thou art righteous. And so I want you to notice back on the map If you uh, look at where they ended up, this is about the halfway point, and this is a picture of halfway obedience. They're supposed to go down to this area. This is where Jerusalem is, and this is where Israel is, but they settled there. Halfway obedience will get you uh, barrenness or halfway to where you're supposed to be. And so... Genesis 11, verse 32 says, the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died uh, in Haran. So once Terah died, according to Acts 7, we get confirmation that then uh, things kept moving forward. Now, if you move into chapter 12 with me, we're just gonna, uh, I'm gonna do an introduction to the first three verses, and we're done. These are key verses, and they're key because of this flag, And if you've heard the statement, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, we're about to read where that comes from. So stick with me and look with me at Genesis 12, verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives, maybe this is a reiteration of the call, from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those, Genesis 12, 3, who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, how many? All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, what I'd like to do in the last moments that we have together is take you through seven promises that God gives to Abram as he walks by faith, in Genesis 12, one through three. Go back in verse one, it says, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, leave everything behind to the land which I will show you, walk by faith. Here's the seven promises listed in verses two and three. One, I will make you a great nation. Seven's the number of perfection or completion. Two, I will bless you. Three, I will make your name great. Four, you shall be a blessing Five, I will bless those who bless you. Six, the one who curses you, I will curse. And the seventh promises, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here is the call of Abram to go to an unknown realm and to walk by faith. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. Maybe when Paul wrote that, he was thinking about Abram because he didn't know where he was going. It wasn't blind faith, but it was obedience with the eyes of faith. And when God asks you to respond to a call, he's going to ask you to trust him one step at a time. Rarely ever in my Christian experience has God unveiled the entire plan to me, although I have cried out for it. Anybody else? Lord, could you give more detail? Why do you seem to cloak things in mystery? Why do you do this? Because I want you to obey me one step at a time. Will you obey me? Will you believe? You see, for Abram to embrace the seven promises, if you want to be a great nation, if you want to be blessed, if you want your name to be great, if you want to be a blessing, if you want me to bless those who bless you, then walk in obedience to me. You want the promises? They cost. You want to be in shape? Work out. It doesn't happen by accident. I know, 1999, the little thing at night. You get the six-pack, it doesn't work. All you did was waste 1999. If it were easy, everybody would be in shape. Amen? If faith were easy, everybody would be walking in the promises. What do you want to do? You got one life. The Bible does not teach reincarnation. It does not teach you you get to do it over and over again. That's Eastern religion. The Bible says you got one shot. What do you want to do? You want to walk in his ways? You want to have a name that's great? A name that's respected? It's not about your name, but God blesses because God blesses. And here's the promise before Abram. This is what I'm going to do, but I want you to walk with me. I'm going to make you a great nation. You see the flag behind me? That's a great nation, a very enterprising people. But boy, have they been abused. Boy, have they been persecuted. And if you look at Revelation 12, and I'm not going to go there tonight, there's a story told in Revelation 12 that sums up the conflict of the ages, and it sums up history and your Bible. And it says there's a great red dragon who wants to kill the male child that comes from this nation. That's been Satan's plan all along. That's why Egypt persecuted them. That's why Assyria persecuted them. That's why Babylon and Medo-Persia and segments of the Grecian Empire and Rome and the Ottoman Empire and Nazi Germany and today all the nations that seem to be around Israel. Why are they a target? Because from that line will come the Messiah. And the red dragon... Uh, there, probably representing blood of persecution. He doesn't want that to happen, or he didn't want that to happen, but it's happened. In the Hebrew language, uh, I will bless those who bless you. Blessing is the assurance of divine favor. To be blessed is to have God smile. It's to have God's favor and grace. When you say to somebody, God bless you, you're saying to somebody, may God smile upon you. May God give you grace and favor. May his hand of blessing be on you. The idea of imparting a blessing takes us back to the patriarchs who would bless children and grandchildren on their deathbeds. They they would impart a blessing. When the return of Christ happens, we call that the blessed hope. In the Hebrew picture language, blessed is B-A-R-A-K. It is in Hebrew, and it's Barak. And it means the sun covered, or it means to be covered by an open hand. It means that God's hand is over you. When you say, God bless that child, God bless that nation, God bless America, what you are saying is, Lord, cover us in your grace. Lord, cover us in your mercy. And that nation has a promise, the flag that's behind me, and it says that through that line, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And God made a promise. I will bless those, I will smile upon, I will pour divine grace upon those who bless you and those who curse you. And the word curse in Hebrew is kalal, Q-U-Q-A-L-A-L. And it means if You curse that nation, you will diminish. Here's the word curse it means to be made of nothing, to diminish in substance. That's a curse. A blessing means to lift up, to cover, to pour grace upon. A curse means to remove grace from. Are you with me? So any nation that is willing to stand with that nation that got a promise from God and blesses that nation will have the smile of God. And any nation or people or person who curses that nation will be diminished, will lose their light, lose their substance, lose their strength, and perhaps even disappear from the face of the earth. You can take it to the bank. I didn't say it. God said it. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. My brothers and sisters, you've been blessed to be a blessing. You, right now, have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. You possess that right now. But you've been blessed not to just take that for yourself and say, hey, I'm good. How you doing today? Blessed. How you doing today? Blessed. Well, you are blessed. But it's not just about you. You're blessed to be what? A blessing. This nation was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. This nation was supposed to tell other people how to find the living God. That nation, sadly, not a whole lot of believers in Yeshua and Messiah today. Some are coming. We pray more. But God's going to sum up the times in this land and Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And a promise is here. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Would you bow your hearts with me, Father? We certainly want to follow in the footsteps of Abram and then Abraham. We are blessed people, Lord. Oh, it's so beautiful to know that your hand covers. In Jesus, we have found refuge, protection, strength, but more than that, he is our salvation. The ultimate blessing has come to us in Christ Jesus. We are blessed. Yes. When we talk about blessings, Lord, you know, the world today is taking that word now, and I'm not sure they know exactly what it means. But to be blessed is to have God's smile, God's favor, God's covering hand. And we want everybody to have that, Lord. We don't want there to be a misunderstanding about what that is. But how blessings come is there's only one true source of blessing, and that's you. We can say to other people, God bless you, but in the end, if those are just words, they're just words, but if it's our heart and our desire to be a blessing, then help us, Lord, to embody that as the church. Let us live out being a blessing. How can we bless others? We should be asking. Will we give them the gospel? Yes, but we also live the gospel and we we put out our hands and our hearts to the herding We look at Jesus, a walking blessing, and what did He do? He was in the midst of people who were sick, downcast, broken, diseased. And he was the shepherd in the midst of downcast sheep. And Lord, you, you've poured out a blessing that we cannot, cannot contain. Our hearts are ready to receive a fresh blessing tonight. Not something we manufacture, something that comes from your mighty hand. Because we are children of Abraham, according to Galatians 3. Because we are grafted in. Because we believe in Yeshua and Jesus, our Messiah, our Christ, our Savior. We're blessed Lord, we know you're not going to remove your hand of covering from your people. Some may be going through their own wanderings. Some may have settled in Haran. Some may have had Ur of the Chaldees or the Tower of Babel manipulate and twist their understanding of life. Maybe they've been invaded by dark things or a dark past. Would you shine your light? You're the God of glory. And just as you appeared to Abram, we know you're here right now by your Holy Spirit speaking to us, encouraging us to come into your everlasting arms, to find that your hands were scarred and torn for us. So Lord, as we think on these things, we just want to say that we love you because you first loved us. May you extend a hand of healing to those who might be emotionally struggling tonight maybe struggling with stress maybe struggling with whether or not they're a Christian Lord would you help those who may be settled in Haran and our prodigals come back home Father would you help us as the church to stand up in this generation stand on biblical principles because the Bible is your word let us do it with compassion and grace but yet passion and boldness as well Lord If you're not a Christian with your heart and head bowed, why don't you make it official tonight? From this line of Abram came the Messiah. He died on the cross and took your punishment, bore your sin, paid the penalty for your ransom at the cross. He shed his blood and was put on public display to show you how much God loves you. Would you trust in him tonight? You'll enter into the best blessing you've ever known. It's something like this. If you don't know him tonight, cry out to him. And something like this. Jesus, pray it if it's you. Save me. Thank you that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. I believe you're God. I believe that you're Savior and Messiah and Lord and friend. Please change my life from the inside out. In Jesus' name I pray. Lord, we love you. We pray your blessing upon Jerusalem, peace to Jerusalem, your blessing upon the nation of Israel. May you bring our country fully back to you in Jesus' name.